0: Hey, church, how's it going? Y'all good? Uh, I want to take a quick second before we jump into uh, the message this morning and reiterate the prayer time Wednesday night. I would love for you to come and be a part of that at 6 o'clock. Um, prayer is the most important thing we can do, and nothing happens of eternal value uh, unless we pray. We can't do it in our own strength. And so uh, I want to encourage you, come out and, and Pray with us. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to do things that we can't do um, together. There's power in that. And so I want to invite you to that again and just reiterate that um, and hope to see you Wednesday night at six as we come and really get after um, the Lord in prayer and prayer and worship. So anyway, uh, glad you're here. First time here. Um, hope uh, You felt welcome and have felt the love of God already. Um, Excited to share this message with you today. For some of you, parts of it are going to be things you've heard me talk about before, but sometimes we need a good reminder. And I think these are some truths that will benefit us. And to be reminded of these truths, um, we're going to talk about today. We're continuing in this series in Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians one. 27 through 30. So chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Let me set up uh, the message a little bit by giving you some context. So um, the person who wrote the letter to the Philippians uh, is the apostle Paul. Apostle Paul um, is probably the greatest evangelist that's ever lived. He wrote many of the books of the New Testament, a lot of letters to churches and to um, people who he was encouraging and giving instruction to. And so he was super uh, powerful in the Lord. The Lord used him in incredible ways. Um, one of the ways he used him was in planting a lot of churches, starting a lot of churches. And so one of those churches is a church in a city called Philippi. You can go read about this in Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty incredible story of all that happens there. And so Paul, one night, he is asleep, and he has a vision from a man, it says, in Macedonia. Macedonia was the area in which Philippi is one of the cities there. He sees uh, this vision. He gets up, feeling like the Lord has led him to go there and preach the gospel. Um, and so he goes and preaches the gospel, people get saved, and the church in Philippi begins. Um, Paul always had a strong affection for this church, and when you read Acts 16, you see all that the Lord did, you can kind of understand this, and he loved all the churches, but there just seems to be this really strong affection that Paul has for the church in philippi and so that's the church we're reading about this letter was written back to them that's the man we're reading about the apostle paul who at one time was an enemy of christians but had an incredible encounter with jesus on a road as he was traveling to a city called damascus to actually persecute christians it wrecked him in a good way changed his life and now we know um and see how Paul was used by God in so many different ways. And so let's read that then. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1 and read those first few verses. Um, last week, if you remember, we looked at how Paul had just written to these uh, Philippians last week where he talked about how he'd been imprisoned, prison, but his imprisonment The chains he was in actually served to advance the gospel. He talked about how some people were preaching about Jesus just to get him in more trouble. But he said the important thing is the gospel is preached. And then he said, I don't know if I'll live or I'll die. He said, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, I don't know what I'll choose. He said, but I do know this. I feel like I'm going to live. And he said, because I'll live on account of your faith to strengthen your faith so that your boasting in Christ will abound. So the takeaway was this, that in all things, the most important thing is that the gospel goes forward. Now He's talked about life and death and what's going to happen. And he gets to verse 27, and these are the two words that really caught my attention the last few weeks. And that is this, it says in verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray and jump in and see what the Lord has for us today. God, I thank you for your word, its truth, its power. I thank you that it does pierce our hearts. I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would stir us, that our hearts would be stirred, that our hearts would be awakened, that we would have ears to hear what you say, Holy Spirit. That the word that that, that we hear, God, that comes from you, Lord, your word, your truth, God, that it would begin to set us free, that we would be free not to do what we want to do, but free to do what we were created to do, to fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory. Lord, encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, correct us, whatever it takes, Lord, to get us in line with your design for our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. I thank you for every person here today. I pray you'll speak to their heart, Lord, and that they would receive what you have for them. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I've noticed this, um, I guess, thought pattern that I have. Um, whenever I get on an airplane or maybe a roller coaster, something like that, here's kind of how my thought pattern works. I look at it and I think, There are hundreds and hundreds of airplanes that take off and land every day. My odds are pretty good, right? Anybody else think like that? Ever think like that? Yeah. You think kind of like that? Like, my odds are pretty good. I get on a roller coaster unless it's at the fair, because then you're like, who put this together? But then, (laughs) but like normally I get on a roller coaster, I'm like, how many people have ridden this roller coaster? Right? And and they they all got off, as far as I know and lived. And I'm like, my odds are pretty good. Some of you, how many of you ever jumped out of an airplane? Anybody ever jumped out? Of <laughs> not doing that. Like, I just want to get up and get back down in the plane. I'm not, but you think about it. You're like, how many people have jumped out of an airplane? You, usually the parachute opens, right? My odds are pretty good. Right? And so we think like that. But how many of you are like me in this? When you think about things in that way or kind of in any way, there's that little thing in the back of your mind that goes, What if? anybody else think like that? Like you, you're, you, you, you're like, Man, this plane, the odds are good, but what if? And so the first little bit of turbulence, you're like, Oh! Huh? Or the roller coaster, you know, you're on it and you're like, Okay, but what if? What if, and that little what if in the back of our mind, it can really put us in a lot of bondage. It can cause us to struggle. It can make us freeze up. In fact, when you look at this, and Paul has laid out all this stuff that's already happened the fact that he could live or die, he's in chains, people are trying to cause him trouble. And then he says, I don't know if I'm coming to you, I may come to you, I wanna to come to you, but I don't, even if I don't, he says, whatever happens. And if I'm reading this letter, that's enough for me to stop and go, Paul, what do you mean, whatever happens? What do you mean, Paul? Because what if blank happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? And our minds can run on and on and on with the what ifs of what might happen. The issue with this, guys, is that those what ifs living in uncertainty in a way that causes our faith to be undermined. There's always uncertainty. We live in uncertain times, yes, but living in a way that that we allow that uncertainty to take hold of us with a what if. It ends up robbing us of the love and the joy and the peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of those things that God says are the fruits of the Spirit will begin to choke out the life of God in us, will begin to rob us of fulfilling the good purpose for which God created us when we begin to allow what ifs to exist in our mind when those things are there and they just become these strongholds in a way that I think a channel of thinking for me, where it's what if this, what if that, what if that happens? See in Philippians 1:27 through 30, Paul says to them, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now think about it. He, he gives us then somewhat of a description of what that can look like for the church. He says this, he says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. One of the ways that we live a life worthy of the gospel is that we stand firm in one spirit. We stand firm on the truth. We don't get moved from the truth of the gospel of Christ, of, of God. But these what is are rooted in uncertainty. And when waves of uncertainty continue to hit us and we don't deal with them with the truth of God's word, it begins to undermine that foundation that we stand on. And just like you've seen these ocean waves erode cliffs, it'll begin to erode the foundation under our feet. He says to strive as one together for the gospel in one spirit See, when we have these what ifs, what ends up happening is we don't live in confidence that God has got us. We can't live in a way that's self-sacrificial. What we begin to do is live in a way that is self-preserving. Because what if I don't have enough? What if it doesn't work out for me? So then everything is competition to get all that I can get. Because what if? doesn't go the way I want it to go. He tells them, without being frightened, stand firm in one spirit, striving together without being frightened. He says, even in the face of suffering, how hard is that for us? To stand firm on the truth, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of pain, of grief, how hard is it for us to stand firm in that? And here's, here's what I believe, guys. Our minds, our body, our soul, our flesh, our flesh shrinks back from even the thought of suffering. There's something in us that, that runs from suffering. We buckle at the thought of suffering. And this is why I believe that happens. Because our flesh was not designed for the world we live in. Our flesh still longs for Eden. Our flesh still longs for the place we were created to be. And yet, because of sin, we live in a world that is very marred and very different from what God intended. And everything in us wants to shrink back, to, to buckle under the weight of suffering or even the thought of suffering. Something in us wants to avoid pain and grief and hurt because it feels foreign. It doesn't feel right, it feels like something's wrong. And I would say it feels that way because something is wrong. This world is not what it was intended to be. And this fear of suffering and pain in our lives is fueled by what ifs. What if tomorrow I have to face the unimaginable. What if tomorrow? What if? What if today? What if? What if next month, next week, next year? What if begins to dominate our thinking? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can never be good enough? What if I'm not a good enough mother? What if I'm not a good enough father? What if I'm not... um, able to find a job? What if I lose my job? What if I work really hard in school and give it everything I have and yet it seems like it never pays off? What if my spouse leaves? For some of you, you're thinking, what if my spouse stays? If that's your thought, like we probably need to have a conversation, right? Let's work through that. But what if? What if I get a bad doctor's report? What if my child gets a bad doctor's report? See, some of those things are even so uncomfortable for me to say. Like I was typing those out. i like, I don't even wanna put this on the paper. Because some of those what ifs scare me in that way. Those what ifs that we deal with, and this is just real life, right? These what-ifs rob us of the fruit of the spirit that God wants to produce in our lives, the, the purpose of God in our life. And if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, standing firm in the truth, in one spirit, striving together for one faith uh, in the gospel without being frightened, even in the face of suffering, then here's what has to happen, guys. Here's what has to happen. If we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, and I want to pause because I want you to understand this. Paul is not saying live a life that makes you worthy for Jesus. Live a life that makes you lovable. That's not what he's saying. You couldn't be more loved than you already are. What you have to understand, y'all back them up, man. Somebody was clapping last week. Nobody else clapped. I felt so bad for them. But you couldn't be more loved than you are right now. And, and I want you to understand that. He's not saying make yourself worthy of Jesus' love. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with. I don't care how many times you've done it. Right now, God loves you tremendously. And if you've never come to faith in Christ and you've never experienced his love and you've never been filled with his spirit of love, then today God's arm is not too short to save you, period. But what about, I don't care. If Jesus can save me, he can save you. And I know some of y'all. And if he can save y'all, he can save me. I'm kidding. (laughs) But what I'm telling you guys is he's not saying make yourself worthy of Jesus's love. What he's saying is live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Live a life that is a proper response to Jesus's love. See, that's very different. Live a life that is a reasonable, logical response to all that God has done for us through his grace, through Christ, through the cross, through the resurrection, through the gift of his spirit, just live a life worthy of that, that there's a reasonable response to that. And so he tells us this, he says, To live this life. But here's the thing. If we're going to live that life, here's what we have to do. We've got to escape the bondage of the what if. We've got to take the what if and we've got to turn it into an even if. See, here's the thing. If you look at what you don't know, if you look at the uncertainty, how many of you feel like we've had some uncertainty in the last two years? How many of y'all feel like we just woke the tiger? Like it could just be getting started. Sorry, downer. Super Bowls are not, yay. But but we live in uncertainty and it seems like uncertainty is still still ahead, it's still around. No matter what, even in the best of times, there's uncertainty. We'll never escape uncertainty. If If you're always looking at what you don't know, then you are forced to live in what ifs. But here's the thing. If you and I can begin to look at what we do know, what we do know, then we can begin to live in even if, which is a huge difference. Even if, blank, I'm going to be okay. Even if God will give me the strength, God will give me the grace. What I don't know leads me to what if, what I do know can lead me to even if so you can begin to turn your what if into an even if when you begin to know this number 1 god is good you can continue to change that what if into an even if when you begin to know that god is sovereign and you can take that what if and take it another step further towards an even if when you know that God is faithful. And when you take those three things, that God is good, God is sovereign, and God is faithful, then you can stand firm and we can strive together as one in one spirit for the faith of the gospel without being frightened, even in the face of suffering. When we know that God is good, God is sovereign, and God is faithful, and listen, and you can trust him. I want to unpack those things a little bit. The first one is this, God is good. Have you ever done something that was supposed to be good for you, but you questioned, is this really good for me? Diet? Exercise? How many of you have ever been exercising and you're like, I don't know if this is helping me or killing me. How many of you have walked up a flight of stairs and thought the same thing, right? Like, I don't know, is it even worth it? I'm just going to turn around. And isn't it kind of true sometimes in what we feel about God, if we're really, really honest, and if we'll be honest enough to admit this this morning, if we're honest with what we feel, what our flesh tells us sometimes? Does it always feel like God's good? Does it? Let me answer that for you, no. But see, this is where we have to live, not according to our feelings, but according to truth. Because our feelings will lie to us We look around and we're like, if God is good, then why? Look at 2 Corinthians real quick. Go back to the left in your Bible from Philippians or scroll up in your phone. So the same Paul that wrote Philippians wrote Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians. And He's writing to them and he's talking about some visions and revelations that God gave him. He he even talks about being taken into heaven, seeing things that are too great to to even speak about that were so incredible. And he says that because of that, he said God gave him a thorn in his flesh so he wouldn't become conceited. And he says three times in verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, to take this thorn away. Scholars debate on what the thorn was, and in a way, It would be cool to know, but in a big way, it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, was there and it was an issue and a problem and it plagued Paul. And he says this, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now put yourself in Paul's situation. Some people think this was a physical ailment. Some people think it was literally what they said, a messenger of Satan, something demonic. It could have been a person that was coming against him or people coming against him, but people debate on it. But whatever it was, was plaguing Paul. Now put yourself in that situation that it is bothering you so much that you plead three times with the Lord. Plead, beg, God, Take this away from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Does that feel like a no? Yes. That would feel a lot like a no. But I want you to see this. This is so incredible, so amazing. Because God didn't give Paul a no. God gave him a greater yes. He said, Paul, my grace is so good. My grace is so powerful. My grace is so effective in your life. My love for you is so great that I will always do for you and in you and through you what you cannot do for yourself. And he says, my grace is sufficient, Paul, not even just for this thorn that you're dealing with. My grace is sufficient for every thorn you'll ever face. And no matter what you face, I'm going to bring you through it. No matter how much it may hurt, Paul, because I know you weren't created for this world like this. You were created for paradise. You were created for Eden. And I know it's going to hurt, but you know what? I'm going to be there. And I'm going to strengthen you. And when you think you can't take another step, I'll take that step with you, Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. And that's great for Paul, right? But is that true for us? And I would say, yes, it is absolutely true for us. And you can say, well, how do we know that? And I can point you to a lot of scriptures, like Romans 5.8 5, and 5.10, where it talks about how even while we were enemies of God, like God saved us through Jesus. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I can point you to those scriptures. But here's the thing I would point you to. Because if you look at this one thing, there is no way to not realize that God is good. And this is the thing I would point you to, the cross. It is impossible to look at Jesus hanging on a cross, beaten, bloody. And and that part not even being the worst part of it but our sin placed upon him, the one who had no sin, the wrath of God falling on him so much for the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, all of them that the, that nature even reacted. The Bible says the sky went dark, the earth began to shake, there were earthquakes. Everything responded when God's wrath was poured out on Christ. And at the cross, we see that the amazing, unending love of God collide head on with the wrath of God. And yet, you know what one? Love. Because God accepted his sacrifice for our sin. And he died on that cross and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, God put his spirit in him and raised him. And he appeared to him for a while and then he ascended to heaven and he sent back the Holy Spirit. And you know how I know that the best is yet to come? It's it's not just because intellectually I agree to it. It's not just because I've convinced myself. It's not because everything is perfect in my life. You know why I know? I know because his spirit says so right here. cannot look at the cross. And we can throw all kind of things out there, guys. We can throw all kind of things out there. Uh, What about the, the, the horrific things that have happened in history? The Holocaust, things like that where millions of people died and it was evil. You know what I do? I have to lift my eyes and look to the cross. What about my cousin who died when he was 16 years old of cancer? And I remember thinking, God, how could you do this? You know what I have to do? I have to lift my eyes and I have to look to the cross. When my now wife, Susan, had cancer when she was a teenager and I remember just shouting and shouting over and over again, I hate God, I hate God. You know what I have to do now as I've grown and realized? I have to look to the cross because the cross tells me the truth. My feelings will lie to me. Is God good? Yes. Does it always feel that way? No. But if I look to the cross, the cross is this pinnacle of God's goodness that rises higher than all of our Destruction is God sovereign. Sovereign, meaning having supreme authority, power, basically the one being in control is God sovereign. I would invite you to read this. And the more you read it, what you discover is that from the very first page to the last page, it tells one story. It tells one story of a bunch of knuckleheads, that's you and I who are sinful. And a really, really good God who loves his creation so much that he would do whatever it takes to reconcile it to himself. To make things right between him and his people and his creation. And when you realize this was 66 books written by 40 plus authors. And you really look at that and what you begin to realize is that God has worked out a plan through imperfect people from the very beginning. And he's working that plan all the way to the end. How does that happen? It's because he's sovereign, because he's in control. Do our choices matter 100%? But God's sovereignty is so big that our choices matter and he still works out his plan. We see that here. He is 100% in control. Think about it this way. You know we, we like to think we're in control, but control for us is an illusion. We, we, we right now are sitting on a ball that is spinning over 1,000 miles per hour round and round. At the same time, this ball that we're sitting on is moving around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. Do you wanna be in control? Most of us don't drive well at 55, right? Much less 67,000 miles per hour. I'm glad you're not driving. If you look at creation, they'll tell you our atmosphere, it's like balancing on a razor blade. A little bit less pressure and it explodes. A little bit more pressure and it implodes someone's holding that together. If you can believe in a creation without a creator, then you got way more faith than I do. He's holding it together. The third one, is God faithful? How do we know that God's faithful? I'd invite you again to read the Bible. Read all the promises in here that God has fulfilled, that he has promised over thousands of years, he has promised and he has delivered. If I were to tell you 10 things over a short period of time that I was going to do, if I told you the 11th thing I was going to do, would you believe me? For the most part, you'd believe me. But what if this was over thousands of years that did everything I said I was going to do? We sing the song, Faithful, right now. He has been faithful right now. He has been faithful then, and he will be faithful in the future. We look at his past performance and how faithful he has been. And it's undeniable. Undeniable. I think back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt and they were slaves and God comes and he's using Moses to deliver them out. And Moses leads them out. Um, But then they, they, they balk and they rebel against him instead of going into the promised land. They get scared and they don't. So they wander in the desert for 40 years. And then they finally get to this place where Moses has died. Joshua is about to lead them into the promised land. The only issue is now they've got to walk through a river that is raging, the Jordan River at flood stage. And so this river is wide. It's it's raging. All the floodwaters are coming through and God tells them, put this box, the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders, which represented his presence. He says, let those priests walk out there, step into the river. As soon as they step into the river, the river will part, and you'll walk through on dry ground. And so they do that and they walk through and God does this incredible miracle. They get to the other side of the river and Joshua tells the people, they says, appoint 12 people, basically one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, send them back into the middle of that river and let them grab a stone. And you grab a stone from the middle of that river and you bring it back and we're going to pile those stones up. And he says, those are going to become memorial stones so that when your children ask you, what has God done for us? Then you can point to those stones and you can tell him about how he delivered you from, from Israel. You can start from Egypt. You can tell him about all the great things he's done, how he held you and took care of you in the desert for 40 years and your clothes didn't wear out. You can tell him all of those things. Here's the thing I want to encourage you to do. You need to think about the memorial stones in your life. All the times you thought it was over, all the times you went through hell on earth, and yet God was faithful to bring you through. And all those memorial stones are things you look back at and you say, you know what? I'm facing this thing now, but you know what? If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful right now too. We all have our own memorial stones. I think about my own life. I mean, even just things as simple as the sun coming up. I mean, the sun came up this morning. It came up yesterday. I'm betting there's a pretty good chance it's coming up tomorrow. The odds are, right? This has happened for who knows how many years. Like, We are not going to debate that today. so much that it can be calculated to the minute. I mean, we can all pull out the computers we carry around in our pockets, look at our favorite weather app and look and it will tell us what time the sun is coming up tomorrow. God is faithful. He's been faithful in my life and in ways he's been faithful in your life. I think about just even the, the history of this Church. Over 13 plus years now. There were so many times I thought it was going to be over. People have stolen, people have um, left, people, I mean, it's been one thing after another. And yet God has been faithful to bring us to where we are. a couple of years ago, two, three years ago now, Susan and I went to a conference in Texas, and we were um, going, kind of running a little bit late to get to the last night of this conference. And we were hurrying, so I got, left the hotel room, and I didn't get my lanyard, and the lanyard was the, the ticket to get in. And I'm like, surely the last night they'll let me in. I'm like, Lord, please don't let them make me go back to the hotel because we had to drive back there, get it. I'm not wanting to do all that. I'm like, Lord, please. Well, we get there, and we're starting to walk through the doors. And all of their security guys had on burgundy jackets. And I look up, and I make eye contact with this guy who's staring me down like I just stole his sandwich or something, right? And he's looking at me, just staring at me burgundy jacket. And then he starts coming towards me, shorter guy, kind of heavy set. He's just coming a hundred miles an hour at me. And I'm like, great, might as well turn around, business send us back to the hotel room. Gotta go back and get the, you know, the lanyard. And so he comes up and he looks at me, he goes, are you a pastor? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I said, this is my wife. He goes, would y'all like to sit on the front row? Yeah, that'd be awesome. And so he goes, follow me. I'm like, yes, we will. And so he, he, he like takes off and he's just, I mean, going hundred miles an hour. Y'all, people are parting. It was like the, the, the Jordan River part. It was like people are getting out of the way and we're walking all the way down this huge church. I mean, walking all the way down to the front row and we're walking. And then I kind of got tickled as we're walking because I'm looking around and people are watching what's happening. And I'm like, they think I'm somebody. They think I'm important. Right. And so we get up there and he literally asks some people to move. He's like, y'all slide down a little bit. He clears out two seats. People had to move their Bibles, all kind of stuff. He's like, Mr. And Ms. Williams, here's your seats. I hope you enjoy the evening. I'm like, yes, sir. Again, if you were looking, I actually took a video of it. I was like just panning the whole thing. I'm like, there are 4,000 people here. And somehow we just ended up on the front row. And I have no idea why. I looked over to my left and it was all the speakers for the conference. I'm talking about like big names. It's like the aisle and then them. I'm talking about names that if I said them, you know them. I'm like, these people think I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm like, this is crazy. And I took that video and here's why. Because I felt like the Lord reminded me that night, Brandon, don't underestimate what I can do with you if you'll just be faithful to me. And even as I was singing this morning and we're singing faithful right now, I was kind of overwhelmed by God's faithfulness. And I thought back to a time when I was, I guess I must've been seven or eight years old and I I used to have to take these allergy shots Um, and my mom would give them to me and um, I hated taking them. And I remember one day she was giving me that shot and I said, mom, why me? Why do I have to do this all the time? And my mom went off. As moms can do. And she said, don't you say, why me? This could be way worse. Think about the people that have it worse than you. Do you say, why me? Cause you got to take a shot. All right. This morning, as I was down there, that story came back to mind. And you know what I thought about instead of why me? I thought about why me, God, are you so good to us? Why have you blessed us in the way? And here's the thing. I can cry you, River. I can tell you about all the hard times. I, I, I can tell you all of that. It hasn't always been. He, look, I can show you journals that I still have of one of the, seemed like 100 times that my dad was in the hospital, and I wrote in that journal, God, am I just some kind of pawn in your cosmic game? What are you doing? Where are you at? Where are you now, God. But as I've realized that even in those times, God is good and God is sovereign and God is faithful. And he's proven that over and over again. I'll tell you one last one. It's really silly, but it was just another reminder. And this is not to pat me on the back because I had nothing to do with this. But when I first got saved, um, probably a year or two after I got saved, Susan and I went to a concert in Augusta and one of my favorite worship bands was the David Crowder band. And we go up there, and we're like in, I'm talking about in the nosebleeds. He looked like he was about this tall. It was cool to see he was taller than that when he came here. Um, but he looked this big from where we were. And we're watching, and it was awesome. And, you know, we, we left, and it was cool. Well, the Lord the other day spoke to me and was just like, Brandon, do you remember that? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, you know when you went to see David Crowder? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, how about this time David Crowder came to you? And he would not leave me alone. Like He was always like, where's Brandon at? i mean, He didn't do that. He, he didn't know. He had no idea. I didn't even meet him. I had nothing to do with him coming here. Nothing. I mean, it's nothing to do with me. But the Lord was like, don't underestimate what I will do if you just stay faithful I've allowed you to go from that place in Augusta to him playing here a church that I was able to be a part of starting if you had told me that that night I would have said you're crazy but God's faithful and here's the thing you don't probably have the same exact story because our lives are different but you've got those memorial stones in your life if God is good and God is sovereign and God is faithful then here's the question I would ask you can we trust him yes listen this is the question I will not ask you can we understand him because the answer to that is no His ways are not our ways. And thank God God, that that he is bigger. And there is mystery because he is so much bigger. I want you to understand this, that we're not surrendering to what if as if whatever is going to happen happens. No, we're standing firm on the fact that the what if is the illusion, that fear is the illusion. And the greatest reality is God's goodness and sovereignty and faithfulness in our lives. That every what if is ultimately answered by second Corinthians 12, nine, that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. And now because of Jesus, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, I can go boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy in my time of need. And so that grace is there always to bring me through what I going through, to give me courage, to not allow the enemy to rob me of what God has given me. And it doesn't mean it's easy, guys. It does not mean it's easy. Jesus didn't die to make it easy. He died to make it possible. I want you to understand some things. Because if you come into Christianity not thinking that there's suffering involved, thinking that everything's gonna be easy, then you've been invited into a lie. But it's worth it. Jesus didn't die to put us in a mansion on the hill, right? Jesus died to give us a home in heaven, so much greater. He didn't die to fulfill the American dream for us. He died to fulfill a kingdom mission. He didn't die to take away every challenge in my life. He died to take away every sin. Jesus didn't die to clothe us in fine clothes and put the best shoes on our feet. He died to clothe us in righteousness. He didn't die to make life easy. He died to make life possible. He didn't even die to make you good. He died to make you alive. He didn't die to fill your bank account. He died to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that when you face the things of life, the uncertainties of life, and you're flesh is telling you it's not going to be okay. The truth is telling you, yes, it is. Because for those who are in Christ Jesus, the best is always yet to come. And I can always declare with confidence that I'm going to be okay, that we're going to be okay, because not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church of Christ. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't. But it means that the Spirit of God living in me can give me the strength to take that next step. The Spirit of God in me can give me the courage to rise up in the face of adversity, in the face of grief and pain and hurt. When I lean into Jesus in my weaknesses, He says, I'll take your weakness and make you strong. My grace will always be sufficient. Today, I think you got this sticker when you came in. If you didn't get one, you can get one when you leave. You can't really read it because the writing is in white right here. But what it says on the bottom is what if. And the what is scratched out and there's an even above the what. And this is what I, I want you to do, if you will, if you want to. Put this somewhere. A lot of times we give car decals and people put them on their back window or whatever. You get those things. I would encourage you, put this somewhere that it's in front of you, on the front windshield. Not like right here, right? But like somewhere over here to the side, a corner, somewhere, that it's a reminder to you that no matter what I'm about to face in my future, I can face it with an even if, not a what if. That God, no matter where I'm going, that's ahead of me, God is good and sovereign and faithful and I can trust him. Put it on the windshield, put it on a mirror somewhere to remind you. We wanted to do this because we want you to live in the freedom of even if not the bondage of what if. It's not easy. It's not always easy. But God's always good. And he's always sovereign. He's always faithful. And for those who are in Christ, the best is always ahead of us. Real quick before we go, we're out of time. I I do want to offer this. If you came here today and you had no relationship with God, no relationship with Jesus, but today the Lord has spoken to your heart and you know he's calling you to himself. And today, very simply, you would say, I want a relationship with God through Christ. I've never had that. I know my sin needs to be paid for and I recognize he paid that price for me. And today I'm making him the Lord and Savior of my life. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to help you take your next steps. So before we leave here, I don't want to leave without giving you this chance. If today's a day of salvation for you and you say yes to Jesus for the first time, just put your hand in the air. You're not going to drag it out. But today you know I need Christ in my life. And I've never had that relationship before. then I want to pray for us because I know there's a lot of us in here today who are facing some things that are uncertain. They can easily be what ifs. But we're going to go to the Lord and believe that he'll give us the courage through his grace to face those as even ifs with confidence. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, would you continue to grow us? Give us eyes to see that the greatest reality is your goodness, your faithfulness, and your sovereignty. We don't always understand. And life is filled with pain. It is filled with grief. It's filled with tough days. But God, thank you that you still give us joy. There are joyful days. There are good days, God. We thank you for that. And thank you that we know that because our names are written in heaven, God, that the best days are still ahead of us. We love you. Pray for the one here today who's facing a a great uncertainty. Would you give them courage and strength? I pray that you would surround them with people who can hold them up when they feel like they can't take another step. Thank you for this family of people who love you and are called by your name. Give us the courage and strength to fulfill your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.